I'm Michael Hayward, host of Coach on Your Shoulder, a podcast where we speak with executive coaches about their practice and how they help their clients solve challenges like yours. In our continuing conversation with Pauka Korstens of The Investment Mindset, this week we'll talk about situations like starting a new job and making the right first impression, how to have a conversation so that you don't lose your job, how to work in diverse and new places, and even how to deal with the situation when your boss flies off the handle for no apparent reason. Welcome back to High Stakes Conversations with Pauka Korstens of The Investment Mindset. Hello again, Pauka. Hello again, Michael. Last time we talked about high stakes conversations, the point of view of people running small or medium-sized businesses and needing to have investment types of conversations with financials and so on. There's another big category of conversations that happen in businesses of all sizes, but especially in medium and larger businesses where they have a well-formed hierarchy and a C-suite with people with lots of experience sitting around, but they still have opportunities for high stakes conversations in these large businesses. So when we think of high stakes conversations in bigger businesses, sometimes we think of you know things like negotiating mergers or the rigors of public company disclosures and what you can and can't say publicly. There's also asking for a raise or negotiating an employment contract. So the examples that you give, those are some of the conversations that are happening, but there are way more. Think, for example, about investment decisions, budget conversations, pricing and contract conversations, marketing decisions, there are loads. What are the most challenging conversations you find yourself helping people in those bigger companies with? I think what's really challenging is when we are having a high stakes conversation with another party that responds in a very erratic way. People that are very aggressive or rude or people that use microaggressions, inappropriate language. I think those are the really challenging situations. How do you respond in those situations? And how do you make sure you don't get dragged into responding in a way that is inappropriate? That's interesting. So it's not so much the topic of the conversation, but the person you're having the conversation with. Correct. That can become the, the thing that we get hooked on. Can you give me an example of how you might help somebody prepare for a conversation with a very difficult person? Yes. I have a client and she works for a big global bank and her boss is in a different country than she is. So there is a, a remote relationship between the two of them. And they were talking about strategy and how to best share the strategy with a total global team. And suddenly her boss responds in a really erratic way, implying just don't bother me with the details and sort it out. And as you can imagine, she gets very upset about this because they're talking about communicating next year's strategy in the most appropriate way. And she wants to do well. So she wants to make sure she's aligned with her boss. And because of his response, they couldn't get to alignment. So what do you do in that situation to help? your client out. So we talked for a bit and the good thing is that we had an established coaching relationship. So I understood the context. We talked about what could be driving this response and it was very difficult to identify. At that point, my recommendation for her was to really focus on the outcome and accept the poor feeling that she had of the conversation. 
and move on. Trying to get everything aligned, you know, who knows what happened to her boss? Maybe he had a bad day. I think it's just going back to what is that we need to accomplish. She is very experienced and she knows how to make good decisions and really trusting her gut and going with what she thinks is the best course of action. Yeah, it is so hard to prepare for these things. You know, one of the things that jumped out to me as you were giving that example is you were able to help because you actually knew your client already. You were in the flow with her and then could help her deal with this strange and unexpected situation. It's just like we all have a general practitioner and we have certain doctors we rely on. We may have some other trusted advisors that we use. It's just very helpful to have a coach you can go to when something happens. And you could go for a year with nothing happening. Though most people, if they deal with a lot of high stakes conversations, want to speak to somebody regularly. But really maintaining that relationship and checking in on a regular basis so that your coach knows what's going on is going to help you with getting much more value out of the coaching relationship. Mm -hmm. So thinking of other examples, how would you deal with somebody who presents a lot of frustration in their response to you. You think you're making a reasonable proposal and you get back what seems like a disproportionately emotional response. How do you deal with something like that? Yes, that's a really good question. And as a VP of merchandising, I had to do a lot of negotiations and negotiations where suppliers were trying to get the best price, but the retailer was also trying to get the best price. And sometimes the supplier would get really upset or we as a retailer would get upset. And at those points in time, it's really important to check in with yourself and understand what is it really all about and to respond with empathy and let the other person know we're having this negotiation because we want to try to get the best price. And if we get the best price, we can drive the most volume for your business and for our business, which will result in incremental profit. And trying to break it down in multiple components and being very clear about the ask and articulating the benefit for them really helps with avoiding a stalemate. If you think about that, really breaks down into three components, which is empathizing with the other person, secondly, stating your ask, and thirdly, articulating the benefits for them. And I think those are really the three critical components of a high stakes conversation that you really need to stay focused on. Seems like those are three points that you would use in almost any kind of high stakes conversation. Does it ever occur that we might be the one who reacts badly and therefore need coaching? That is possible. Yeah. If our emo emotions take over, there are all kinds of things that can happen. And I think, therefore, it is so important to work with a coach to really practice this muscle of high-stakes conversations. It's like being an athlete. And the more you practice, the better you will get. So am I right in thinking, I feel like I react emotionally in high stakes moments. That should be a clue to me that I should probably get some outside perspective and help me understand if I'm responding appropriately. I think you're spot on, Michael. Okay. 
And working with a coach is of huge help for anyone to increase our self-awareness and to become much better at managing our emotions. And if we can manage our emotions, we can focus on the desired outcome we want to achieve. Uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of other types of conversations, many different situations that come up. You know, I've been thinking of when you come to a new job in a new company. How do you work with somebody when they're starting a senior position in a new company? First of all, if somebody approaches me and wants to work with me on a job transition, I'm very excited because it highlights that the person really understands the importance of making a good first impression. And the first thing that we really work on is two things. One is what is it that you want to achieve? How do you want to enter this new company? And secondly, is really understanding what's the culture of the new company and how can they marry who they are together with the culture. Are there any things that a person should say or do when they start a new job? I think the most important thing is to be positive and to be their authentic self and giving other people a chance really to get to know them and sharing with the new team and the new company their excitement. People always like it when there's new people that are joining and they have high hopes and they would like those high hopes to become true. Once we join a company, we find out new things that were unclear during the interviewing process. And that's why I think it's so important when you're going through a job transition to be super observant and have a good sounding board so you really understand everything that you're finding because it's often very different from what you have been told in the interviewing process. Especially if a company is trying to pitch the company to you. They want to put a certain face on the company, a certain spin on the opportunity to make it seem attractive. I think... The focus really should be in the first 60 to 90 days to establish a connection with the team, to get to know the culture, and to get to know the market you're operating in. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, making a plan and asking others to provide input into that plan and develop your vision of what needs to be done. We talk about high stakes conversations and the ability to practice. When you wind up working at the executive level and somebody comes to you having prepared for a high-stakes conversation, whether it's wanting a promotion or a raise or something, or pitching a plan or program that they want to do, they come prepared, but we may be caught off guard. Do you have an example of a time when you help a manager, an executive deal with the situation where somebody from their organization came to them with a tough request, something that they had a really hard time figuring out how to answer? Classic example is that you're the manager, the leader, and somebody comes to you and asks for a compensation increase or other work benefit that is really important to them. And you may have dealt with those situations many times, but it can still take somebody by surprise. And it's really important at that point in time to express your gratitude that the person comes to you, is open to you, and expresses what's really important to them. And you as a leader really need to take that opportunity to be curious and understand why is this important to the person and ask that question and also ask them what's their perspective on how their ask will maintain 
an inclusive and equitable environment for everybody in the company because you have to go back and research what you can do for this person. So you need to be really focused on what information maybe the other person has that's valuable for you to understand what's the best way to respond. Yeah, I think that's important. As our Buddhist friends would tell us, it's more important to respond than to react. Exactly. Right. And then I think, as I said, it's really important to say to the person, hey, I will look into this. I will get back to you in two weeks. Thank you for letting me know. And then start working right away because you never know how long it will take you to get all the pieces of information that you need to come to a conclusion. And possibly check in with a person within a few days or within a week to get some more information about the situation what they think is a good outcome and also let them know if you don't have a positive outcome for them, how will they handle that situation and start talking about that? Because it's very important that everybody that is on your team has a lot of resilience and we're always excited about a positive answer, but we also need to be able to cope with a no, so to speak, or a negative answer. I guess it's an opportunity to coach your team to prepare them for every possible outcome. If I was hearing you correctly, you don't always want to have an answer right away. You want to actually change the way you approach this to ask those questions, to give yourself time to process and fully think of the implications. Yeah, it is very easy to fall into the trap to quickly answer and even share with the other person all the complexities that you have to be thinking through before you can give them an answer. None of that is relevant to share. What's most important to share is thanking the other person for approaching you mm -hmm. because you want to always be approachable as a leader and promising them that you will treat their ask with utmost respect and that you will get back to them in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. Switching topics, obviously in the last five or 10 years, the issue of diversity and equity and inclusion has been very high on the radar for companies. And they're to the point now where there are senior leaders whose job title has to do with diversity. We have a more diverse workforce than ever before, and hopefully that diversity continues to grow. But that introduces some interesting challenges for us as leaders. So what do we have to learn about how we present and how we have conversations in our organizations as diversity continues to grow? I think there are two things that are really important to learn. The first one is, as we have a more diverse workforce, what's the standard for one person is not the standard for the other person. The more diversity we have and the more different groups, the more standards there are. I think it's really important to become more and more self-aware when we are using a certain standard that might not be the standard for the other person, which gets to my second point. Mm. How can we always be highly curious to understand where the other person is coming from? Those are, I think, the two things that are really important. I'm wondering, how does that show up in the workplace? A good example is that if you're somebody from immigrant background, you're a mom, you work in a company, your job security is incredibly important because you're the main breadwinner and you have kids that are going to school here. 
But you also have in the back of your mind that if you're asking your employer for too much, you may put your job at risk. And the consequences of that could be that you have to go back to your home country with the consequences there are for the continuation of the education of your kids. So I have seen women having a challenge with asking for some time off to do something that is critically important for their family and their kids because they're worried of putting their job at risk. And somebody that's not an immigrant and this country is their home, this may not go through their mind. So I think there are big differences in terms of how easy it is for people to ask for something, depending on their background. Okay. That makes me think about gender-specific differences. Men and women are obviously pretty different. How do you approach coaching men versus women? Do you have to do something different in the way you approach coaching men and women for high-stakes conversations? Biologically, men and women are different. Our senses are developed in different ways. And up to quite recently, and I think it's still going on, how we are nurtured is sometimes not the same. We're trying to become more equal in society, but I don't think we've reached that point yet. When it comes to coaching, I don't treat men or women differently. There are loads of things that make clients different from each other. And I really believe that every client is unique. And I try to understand the uniqueness of every client that I work with. And for example, there is one client I work with. She always really likes to start with understanding what feelings are alive for her and what needs are really important. And then I have another client that will directly cut through the chase and start talking and give me an update on what's happening. And she will end with the two or three things that she really wants to discuss today. As a coach, it's my responsibility to really read the client and to meet the client where they are and identify how I can ask the best questions to get the client to where they want to come to. The one thing that's always the same for every client is that in every session, we will identify what a good outcome could be for the session and that outcome we will reach no matter who the client is or in what situation they are. So you have brought up examples of how people approach high stakes conversations differently, but in almost all of these situations, emotions are involved, whether you start with emotions or the emotions build later. How do you coach people through the emotional impact of a high-stakes conversation? When somebody has had a high-stakes conversation, no matter what the outcome is, after it, we often are very tired. We may not realize it, but I'm sure you've experienced if you've had a high-stakes conversation that you will have a really deep night's sleep. And the reason why it's happening is because you're going through emotional growth. You have dealt with a situation that has touched your nervous system and your emotional muscles, and your body is looking for rebalancing that. Not only rebalancing, growing, building muscle memory, so the next time that you have the same conversation, you will do even better. And that's in the end where we as human beings want to get to, is to really improve our emotional maturity, get better at reading the room, reading the situation, 
get better at being in touch with ourselves and really understanding our authentic self and what really matters to us. From that comes emotional maturity. And I believe that's a lifelong journey. And the more we practice that muscle and the more we seek input from others, such as a coach, to get really good at this, the more resilient we will become to deal with any situation that comes on our path. So if I'm hearing that correctly, as you started the topic about muscles, I started thinking about bodybuilders who work out to make their muscles stronger. But I don't think you were saying make our emotions stronger. It's like practicing so that your muscle memory gets better and better so that you're able to respond rather than simply react in the moment that you are able to slow your brain down and think about what you're doing before you do it. So as you work with clients over a longer period of time, do you see the change as the cumulative work that you've done together shows up for them when they're at work? A lot, actually, because I have a couple of clients with whom we have prepared for a multitude of high-stakes conversations. And the themes or the parts of the conversation that are difficult for them, there's like a red thread, there's similarity between what are the things that are challenging for them. For example, this co-founder, he really has a need for effectiveness. He has a need for fairness. He has a need for growing the business in a healthy way. And his co-founder he works with is more... I wouldn't say erratic is the right word, but he is less planful and just takes things a little bit more as they come. Mm -hmm. And what we noticed was that my client really picks up on when things are not being effective. He notices that, but the people around him don't. And so we worked on how can you state your observations more frequently? Because for the other people, they may need to hear his observation five to ten times before the penny really drops and they're willing to take action to make things more effective. And that can be counterintuitive to keep repeating yourself, state the observation, and then respond with curiosity and ask the other party, why do you think this is happening? Should we do something about this? And I think there is lots of textbooks that say how repetition is really important if you're a leader. And I do notice when I work with clients on high stakes conversations for longer, how they become really skilled at handling situations and they get more effective at doing it. That makes a lot of sense. I've seen the same thing as well, where as a coach, you might feel like I have to repeat myself, but that's okay. Most of the time, you have to have repetition, right? And practice before you really change a behavior or change performance or change anything. It's a process, not a miracle, right? Exactly. And practice makes perfect, as it says. And just one try is not enough. That's terrific. What's clear is that this is an open-ended conversation, right? There are so many examples. There are so many situations that we should always be mindful of the need to be prepared. You know, as coaches, we know we can help people along that pathway, but there's also nothing like experience, right? Actually going and doing it to help us get better at every 
subsequent conversation. Pelka, this has been a fabulous conversation. I really appreciate you taking so much time to walk through how you help people with these types of conversations. Thank you very much, Michael. This is a topic I'm really passionate about. Uh, it's a difficult topic, and I think we all deal with high-stakes conversations all the time. And I have a passion for helping people get better at it, and I've seen people getting better at it, so it's possible. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to Coach on Your Shoulder. I'm Michael Hayward. Coach on Your Shoulder is a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to at all the finest podcast outlets. Coach on Your Shoulder is co-produced by Melissa Simmons of Luminology. If you have questions about finding a coach or how you can get the most of a coaching relationship, drop us a line. We always love to hear from listeners like you.